Hi, Ange here, and welcome back to Tidal Isles. This is going to be chapter five today. It's a little bit, I think, a pretty kind of a longer chapter, so it's more like chapter one in size, I believe. So um, forgive me that it's a little bit on the long side, but I hope you enjoy it, and I look forward to continuing to hear from you. Thanks. Bye. Chapter five. Ulrich spent most of his day arguing with Hotska. Sometimes they fought face to face, other times through unsuspecting people. He was exhausted. However, he gave little and gained a lot. Getting the nursemaid he wanted, Bladam's mother, Hilda, who wanted nothing more than to be with both of the babies every waking moment. After he agreed to name their son after her deceased grandfather, Avandus. The biggest win was that Avandus would live in the main house with him. For now, Avandus would only visit his mother while nursing, with Hilda in their presence. Later, they would add supervised playtime during the day, but not until he was healthier. She was ready to fight him until the glaciers all melted on this point, but a simple threat of taking her crimes up before the High Council was enough to stop her. But once he found proof, she would be gone for good. Still, for now, to keep her in line, there was no reason she needed to know how tenuous her current situation was. Now, he stood in an almost empty nursery. The room wasn't decorated, and until a few hours ago, it wasn't even meant to be a nursery. It had a simple crib, a rocking chair, a chest of drawers, and a portrait on the wall. He would have to ask Laddie to decorate it. He knew it would be something she would enjoy doing. He watched his son sleep in the crib, peaceful for the first time in his short life. The medicine seemed to help his pain. Snuggled next to him in the crib was the orphan child, oblivious to how alone she was in the world. Today was not a good day to be chieftain. He had left only one painting on the wall in the room when he had cleared it out earlier. He couldn't bring himself to take it down. It was of his father and Janal, his bonded. The painting had been a gift from the artisans at Castle Tibalot after his ascension as King Ulrich I. I wish you were both here now to meet my son, he said. He remembered walking in while his father and papa sat for it. Ah, Ulrich, my boy, come and have a seat. He patted the gold cushion next to him. Skyda, don't let Dolstrin see you brought half the gardens in with you. He nodded at his filthy fur and winked. Dressed in regal robes of gold, his hair neatly combed, and his long, blonde beard immaculately groomed and shaped by the valet. Ulrich's own mother wouldn't have recognized him. Skyda sat next to his father, Janal, on the purple cushion at the king's feet. Sire, protested the artist as he peeked around the easel, his mustache blotted with blue paint. You can't have others in the field of vision during your sitting. Why not? He's not in my light, Larrick protested, pointing at the open window on the other side of him. And you have been telling me for days that you're only putting the finishing touches on this ridiculous painting. How many of these portraits must I have in this dreaded, oversized castle? Only the one, sire, sighed the artist as his head disappeared behind the giant canvas. I wish, grumbled his father. This is my fourth. 
How do these people never catch on? He mumbled as he leaned close to Ulrich. Sire! Sorry! exclaimed the king as he sat back up in his original upright position. But it wasn't the artist who had called out to him. It was Dolstrin, the royal magistrate, who was racing across the room. A short, rotund man with no hair at all, except for the faintest wisp of white eyebrows and lashes. His heel was clicking on the floor on every other step. Ulrich looked and noticed he had only one shoe on. A second look showed he was flush and out of breath. Ulrich stood as the other man bowed in the king's presence. Sire, the rumors were true. The West armies are gathering on the eastern coast of Elgus Isle. Our scouts have returned with news they plan to march upon Castle Tibalot by the end of the week. To what end? asked Ulrich, looking at his father and papa. They seem to think there's a better way to run things, and I think it's their new prince's doing, young Prince Darrow. I have heard many rumors about his charm, cunning, and ruthlessness. Now, it seems he's power-hungry as well. I'll send Burgros and Lejalia to Grand Isle, and they can dispatch someone else from there out to Nidag Isle. Ulrich, I need you and Skyda to go south to Verona Isle. Don't go beyond their rock wall, as they see it as an act of aggression. Deliver them a request from me to Prince Ayat. We are in dire need of troops to save the Tidal Isles from an overthrow of our government. Wait one full day for a response. No longer. I can't afford for you to be gone longer than that. He looked out the window at the sun as he scratched his beard, destroying the carefully manicured appearance he had had just a moment ago. With the Tidal Bridges, you should be back here in two and a half days. Maybe three. With any luck, we'll get you all back here before the armies arrive. Just in case, take your battle armor with you. I will need you to make an entrance if you arrive late. Ulrich and Skyda looked at their fathers and bowed. And their fathers bowed back. Safe journey, Larrick said. Then Larrick closed the gap that often existed between them and pulled him into a hug. I love you, son. I love you too, Ulrich said, feeling awkward as he patted him on the back in return, not knowing he would not get to say anything to him ever again. His father turned abruptly and hurried towards the chambers. Dolstrin, you still here? Convene the war council now, ma'am. They had done as their fathers had asked, and just over two days later, Skyda and he returned with the Vararian Legion. As they were crossing the tidal bridge back towards Milan Isle, they could already hear and smell the battle. We're late, said Skyda, his hackles rising. Not too late, grinned Ulrich. Look, father and papa saved us plenty. Good. They stopped and donned their armor, per the king's orders. Before their fathers had left home to come and serve as king again, all of the bonded had been gifted with a unique set of armor. Their fathers had designed it with the help of some of Veet's most skilled artisans and armorsmiths. The armor was designed to enhance the uniqueness of the bonded pairs, but also to scare the enemy. Each pair of armor was slightly different, but overall had the same appearance. It had grooves and etchings cut into the metal armor to channel the glow of eyes as it flared all the way down their bodies. Oryx and Skydas resembled the sharp zigzagging lines of a lightning bolt. Bergrosen and Lejalias had the delicate scrollwork found on ancient weapons. Father and Papa's 
had an ancient symbols of wolf power. From their heads to their boots, they lit up blue. Their masks hid their faces in shadow, leaving only the pulsating magic of their eyes visible. Since this was the first war they were ever worn in, they became known as the Tidal War Armor. They pulled on their magic, and the two Vararian legions who helped them into their armor jumped back and laughed. The blue of the magic pulsed down the slits of their torsos, arms, and legs, sparking small bolts of lightning all over. They looked unworldly. I see now that King was wise to have you wear your bewitched armor, said Atar, knocking on Ulrich's chest. Impressive. Terrifying, said his friend, backing away and kissing the charm bag around his neck. Aid's Vararian legion of swordsmen and armed with two-handed scimitars scattered up the ridge and up onto the ledge behind them and looked into the bull that was the center of the Milan Isle. Milan was a bowl-shaped isle of black sand. A tall edge surrounded it with a very small beach that led to the sea, a large depression covered in black rock and tunnels along the sides made up the center of the isle. That was where the battle was happening now. The western armies were wearing tunics of green with a strange symbol on them. The eastern armies had no unified tunics, so it made it easy for the Aeetes Legion to know where to join in. Ulrich and Skyda rushed into the melee. As they pulsed their magic, many of the battle-weary combatants screamed in horror and ran. Few attempted to fight them as they headed north towards where Bergrosen and Lejalia were fighting. It was then they noticed the black sand. Each step their mentors took, the sand below their feet flashed blue, like their armor. Their footfalls fading fast behind them as they parried and reposted in the battle. They could run much faster than regular men or wolves, so they didn't pay attention to any of the enemy along the way that tried to catch them to fight. With their magic flared, they knew they were terrifying. No bonded had ever dared to flaunt their magic off their isle before. Ulrich sure hoped their fathers knew what they were doing. Magic was not trusted in the tidal isles. Nice of you finally to join us, pups. Bergrosen said as she kicked off a very short man in black armor that looked to be encased in stone. He toppled over and over down the crater side, knocking several people over on the way. Well, we had nothing better to do, he said as Skyda bit a woman on the thigh as Ulrich pierced her with his longsword. Lojalia raised up on her front paws and kicked a soldier in the chest so hard he flew off the crater's edge and into the sea. What do you call that? asked Ulrich. The donkey kick? Lejalia growled as a glow of her magic increased, blinding her next opponent. Where is father and papa? Ulrich shouted, pausing to look around. They're right there. Bergrosen pointed with her sword that had someone still impaled on the end of it, then kicked him off and into two more people charging towards her. Ulrich looked and saw father and papa were getting pushed off of the crater's lip and down into the bowl. They were surrounded by an ever-growing throng of green-clad soldiers, as if they were all summoned to him. He would never know why, but a rush of panic hit him. Father, he yelled at the top of his voice, though there was no hope of him hearing. The glowing armor of Larrick and Janal could not be missed, nor could the fact that few supporters were left alive anywhere near the king and the Visca Alpha. Bergrosen noticed, too. 
The four of them began to run with speed that only the bonded possessed. It was then he saw a parting of the people closest to their fathers slowly expand from them towards the opposite ledge. People clearing the way to let someone in. A lone figure approached with a slow, confident walk. All the while, father and papa were fighting off dozens that still surrounded them. The bonded leapt over many of the oncoming fighters and ran past before they could be pulled back into the melee. Each knowing that a delay could cost him their chieftain and his bonded. An eerie quiet and calm rushed upon the battle, settling like a silent storm. The enemy stopped in mid-battle and turned towards the man in green armor, approaching the center of the bull. Soon, the king's men stopped to watch them, confused at the turn of events. Ulrich, Skyda, Bergrosen, and Lajala pushed towards the crowds, tossing people aside to get past them. A horde of people stood in their way. It was then Ulrich saw it. A mass of green tunics surrounded their fathers. There was no help for them, just the four of them, and knowing they wouldn't get there in time. I told Papa what's going on. They know it's a setup, and that we are on the way, Skyda told him. As the four of them reached the crest, they stared down at their leaders. As the lone figure approached them, Ulrich groaned, knowing that they needed to find a faster way through the hordes of soldiers. Murmurs rolled across the battlefield like thunder. Then silence once more. His shoulders sank as the weight of the stillness laid upon him. A deep growl reverberated from Skyda and Lujala that frightened the stunned enemy soldiers. With terror in the eyes, they too parted ways to allow the four armored, glowing bonded down to the center of the aisle. Ulrich reached his hand out and rested it upon Skyda's back, needing the strength of his brother to take those last critical steps. After an eternity, they were in the center. Before them were three figures in a small clearing, two standing and one lying on his back, with Vargenstand impaled into his neck. Ulrich walked over and looked down at the dead face of his father. He glanced at Papa, who panted as he felt the effects of the death of his bonded. Skyda sat next to him, frantically licking Papa's face as the white wolf weakened before their eyes. Madness seeped into Ulrich at the haunted sounds of the viscid death howls. Pressure and fierce trembling racked his insides, but outwardly he was still as a statue. A shift of his eyes filled his vision with a fading orange sunset as it fell into the Fangelzi Sea. No longer able to look down at the dead corpse that was his father. Instead, his eyes traveled across the sky. Somewhere in his darkening soul, a child's hope sprung to life, hoping that he would see the spirit of his father watching over him. Prince Dara was talking, but Ork couldn't hear a word. Even death howls seemed so distant compared to the pounding of his own heart. He just stared at the black sand that was claiming the life's blood of his father. An orange splash of light faded near father's body, but when he blinked away the burning in his eyes, it was gone. Darkness had truly fallen. His father was gone, and Papa would soon join him. 
fought himself as he returned his gaze into his father's lifeless eyes. Prince Darrow put his hand on Ulrich's shoulder as if to offer condolences, but he shook it off. Without thought, in a single swift movement, he grabbed the blood-soaked hilt of Vargenstan, spun around, and beheaded the Prince of Elgos. The assassin of their fathers was dead. They were avenged. At least one of them lived long enough to witness it. Ulrich heard footsteps in the hallway. He turned and saw his second wife, Bladam, as she walked into the nursery. Wearing a simple rust-colored dress, she smiled as she walked past him and bent over the crib and breathed in the new baby scent. A wave of relief rushed over him as the sight of her smile calmed him. They sparred together, they drank together, they laughed together. Yet, despite all of her hard edges, there was a hidden, enticing feminine side to her, too. He only got a glimpse of it on rare occasions. This was one of them. I don't know what I would have done if he died, he said as he reached out and pulled her into a hug from behind. She stiffened, but didn't pull away. He grimaced, glad she didn't see his face. He watched her take a moment before she answered. Avandis has two very strong and stubborn parents. There is no way our little angel would give you anything but his best. She reached out and rubbed Avandis' back as she smiled down at him. I'm sorry. Do you know how lucky these two are? She cut him off. Lucky? There is nothing in their first day of life that I would call lucky, he scoffed. Think about it. She smiled as she slipped out of his arms to look up at him. How rare is it for two children even close to the same age to grow up together here in Grasdalian? Usually there are years between births in the same village. They will have each other their whole lives. He looked at her and smiled. Lucky, he agreed. Laddie walked into the room. How are my two favorite cuties doing? Oh, we're just fine, answered Bladom smirking. But you should see these babies. They're kind of adorable too. Laddie got up alongside her friend and used her hip to shove her playfully away from the crib to get a better look at the babies. I think it'll take a couple more days to wean Avundus off the medicine. I am hoping the poison will be out of his system by then she said as she examined Avundus. So, is he going to be fine? he asked, shocked that he had any room for hope left at this point. I don't know what damage has been done. Time is the only way to tell. If I could kill her, I would, he stated flatly. Bladom turned and looked at him, but she didn't seem shocked. If you were the type of man that would do so, with disregard to all you believe in, you would in turn become the person you hate. She gave him an appraising look before continuing. Morals, integrity, these are good things in a man. Necessary things in a great leader. She looked over the small baby in the crib and her eyes narrowed. However, I'm neither. I could kill her for you. Tempting, he smiled at her. They laughed. Since you mentioned the old biddy. We have a problem, and we might need her help. Laddie pulled the tension right back into the room. What now? He almost whined. Almost. Jinjin the goat. She's our only current milker. She has come down with a serious parasitic infection. We can't use her milk for at least several weeks while I treat her. Wait, 
Ulrich shook his head in confusion. How does our village only have one milker? Don't you remember? She crossed her arms. Never a good sign. Just under a year ago, we lost most of the adults in the herd due to a massive parasitic infection. Luckily, we had just bred some of Berg Rosen's herd. Jinjin was the first of them to breed. Will the kids be all right? He asked. Oric no longer had any idea where this conversation was going anymore. They are close enough to be weaned. We are just going to do it a few days earlier. They will be fine, she said. Bladon gave Laddie a quizzical look. Then why are we talking about Jinjin, the parasitic infected goat? Milk, she explained. Milk, they both asked her. Laddie's eyes rolled. For the girl baby to drink. She waved her hand over the crib. I've been giving her goat's milk since we don't have access to her nursing mother. But we do now, Laddie said. Oh, you've got to be kidding me, Bladon blurted out. No way Hotzka's going to give one drop for a baby that isn't hers. Especially if it is something any of us wants. Laddie put her hands on her hips. I will not say Haska isn't difficult. Difficult? I'd have an easier time shaping cold iron. All I'm saying is she's intelligent enough to be reasonable. No one would want to starve an innocent child. Bladam smiled darkly. Oh, you're so naive. Hatska has never done one nice thing. Not once in her whole life. Not unless she was getting something in return. I was a teenager when Hatska moved to Grisdalian, and she was a nasty, spiteful kid. Never liked her, Bladam spat out. I'm not saying it'll be easy. Laddie lifted Ulrich. But right now, we've got all the power, and she has none. She knows it. If we give her something small in return, something she really wants, then maybe we... No, Ulrich stated. She gets nothing else from me. Ever. Without her milk, this baby will die, Laddie pleaded. Laddie looked at him crushed with tears in her eyes. His flash of anger subsided. I'm sorry, he whispered. I feel like she has taken everything from me today, and I can't bear any more. We will figure this out, I promise. I won't let the baby starve. She turned from him and stared down at the baby. Touching her shoulder, she jerked it away. His laddie had never done that before. He may have become accustomed to Bladam's rebuffs to him touching her, even if he didn't like it. She had her reasons, and he understood them even if he didn't agree with them. However, Laddie, she was his solace, his love, and it hurt. And on a day like this one, he was surprised how much. Reaching into his pocket, he pulled out the bracelet the Berg Rosen had given him earlier. Stepping beside her, he showed her the bracelet. The stones were cool in his hands. As he reread the engraving on the back again, he smiled at Laddie whose tears were falling full force now, rubbing the sleeping girl's back. I think it's time we gave this little girl a name. Her mother's bracelet had an engraving on it. Omri, he told her. What? she said, sniffling. He showed it to her. She had said Omri when I was alone with her. At the time, it almost sounded like a prayer or a plea, she said, taking the bracelet from him to examine it herself. It is a beautiful name. I've never heard it before, said Bladam, but it suits her, don't you think? 
The three of them stared down at the two newborns as they snuggled close together in their tiny crib. Avandis and Omri. I think they'll be the best of friends, Bladam cooed. Ulrich stood in the audience chamber of the High Council Hall, not sitting in his normal seat on the throne. Instead, he stood before the other bonded on the presentation platform, Bergrosen, Skyda, Lejalia, and the new pup who were facing the gathered audience. Ulrich steadied himself. It wasn't normal for him to feel nervous in the council hall. The chamber opened into a huge rounded room with 40-foot ceilings. Light-colored wood support beams crisscrossed the ceiling. Open-air windows let slivers of light fall down on the crowd below them. The towering walls were covered in colorful tapestries. Artists impeccably designed them to show off the aviation skills in the art of war. Behind the presentation platform were the remaining members of the six-member High Council. Finrin, the 121-year-old baker, Tista, the 61-year-old farmer, and Kala, 142-year-old retired lieutenant of the Visca Guard. Bergrosen, Vajalia, and Skyda made up the remaining members. The High Council had the authority to usurp the decisions of the chieftain if he or she were to abuse their powers and not work for the benefit of the citizens of Avit. It would take a majority vote, only happening three times in almost 800 years. Still, it was a very serious post. They sat in on all the meetings and were privy to all the decisions made by the chieftain or proxy. It's considered a great honor to serve on the High Council. Up until recently, the seats had always been held by bonded pairs. But now with the numbers dwindling, they had to be replaced with other members of their society. Tonight, they're here for something far more exciting than political wrangling, though. This would be a dream come true. A bonding presentation. When Ulrich the Chieftain presents his son to the son of Lajalia and Skyda, the Alphas of the Visca, for bonding. It is an ancient ritual, and it hadn't been performed in the High Council Hall since the day he and Skyda were born. The whole auditorium behind him was filled with people and wolves, excited to have the opportunity to witness this rare and beautiful ritual. Beside Ulrich stood Bladam and Laddie. Hatzke had been banned, and a guard placed outside her home to make sure she didn't try to come. Ulrich stepped forward. His heart was the only thing he could hear. I am Ulrich, bonded with Skyda. I am Larik's son who was bonded with Janal. I present you my son, Avandis, he said as he bowed before Lejalia, while holding Avandis tight to his chest. He breathed in slowly, calming himself down. The only other time he felt this nervous in this room was coming home as their chieftain in his father's place. Bergrosen, Skyda, and Lejala bowed in return. Bergrosen spoke for Lejalia, as was the custom. Larik's son. This is Lejalia, who was bonded with Bergrosen. She is the daughter of Quilla, who was an unbonded Visca wolf. She is the mother of the unnamed pup we present to you. 
She gestured to the little white wolf squirming around on a pillow in front of them. This is Skyda, who is bonded with Ulrich, Bergrosen continued, son of Janal, who was bonded with King Larrick, and who was killed with your father in the Tidal War. He is the father of the unnamed pup we present to you. We welcome your son into our den to see if he is to become one of our pack. However, few are accepted through no fault of their own. It is said that the bond that is shared between a wolf and their human is a piece of their souls that is fused before birth. It isn't something that you can aspire to nor work towards, just a hope we flame so that our ways don't die out, our world not forgotten. Our paths will still be followed. Please step forward and present Avundus, Ulrich's son. Everyone was silent. Ulrich was trembling so bad he was scared he would drop his baby. The bond he had with Skyda, there was nothing more precious that he could wish for his son. One, two steps forward. His feet felt sluggish. Three, four, Five steps, he was certain his knees would no longer support his weight. Six and seven, he was there before the pup that could change Abundus's life forever. The newborn pup lifted up his head and sniffed his chieftain's hands. He laid his son on the pillow that was on the pedestal and waited, waited, and waited some more. Nothing happened. This concludes Chapter 5 of Tidal Isles. And as always, please hit the likes and the shares, comment, rate the podcast. Anything you can do to help support me would be greatly appreciated. I'm still just starting out and I'd really like to get enough of a following to help me make my book a better book so uh, I could release or publish it someday. So thank you again. And again, I apologize that I'm not an actor. I'm doing the best I can. But I do trip over my words and I apologize for how awkward it sounds sometimes. I hope you have a blessed day and I'll see you next time. Bye.